Hey guys, welcome back to the Ronin Rabbit, a Usagi Jimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. Beware, there will be spoilers. To get in touch with me, you can email usagipodcast at gmail.com. The website is bigtimenoise.com slash Rabbit, where I post the episodes. You can leave comments there. I post the episodes on the Usagi Ojimbo Dojo and Usagi Ojimbo fan pages on Facebook and on Twitter. You can tweet me at T-O-T-E-A-L Productions. Usagi Ojimbo Volume 4 Issue 9 from IDW. Cover dated March 2020. The story is entitled Tatami Part 2. And on the cover we have in the middle foreground Usagi and Shizu. Usagi wielding both the katana and wakazashi. Chizu wielding a pair or a set of kama. Three Nico ninjas, which you can't necessarily tell from the cover, but from the story you know that that's who they are, surround them in the back, fortified by six pairs of eyes in the darkness. In the four foreground, six sword tips all point to the fact that Usagi and Shizo are completely surrounded on this cover image. Now we open the story with the group that is protecting the tatami mats. Ah, allow me to back up just a moment. Dramatis personae include Miyamoto Usagi and Chizu, who we have seen on the cover. Here on this first page of the actual story proper, we see Toyotomi, who is the guard in charge of delivering a set of tatami mats to his lord, Gifu, uh, who we get in name only. Lord Hikiji, in name only, appears also, as do the Niko Ninja, Kagamaru and Kimi, who are both Niko Ninjas, Niko Ninjas, and Lord Hebi, who is the primary second to Lord Hikiji, and who is directly over Kagamaru, as the Niko Ninja are in the employ of Lord Hikiji. So, Toyotomi after one attack, is setting up camp in a large open field with the rest of his retinue, including Usagi and Chizu, to help guard a shipment of tatami mats on their way to Lord Gifu. They have set up in the middle of a large plain so that there is nowhere to hide, and hopefully they will see 360 degrees any approaching force. As I said, they have been attacked once, and they are aware that it was the Nico Ninja who attacked them, so they... They know that as well. Uh, no. I take that back. They don't know that it was the Niku Ninja. I don't believe. I'm not sure. Either way, um, the, the reason I'm confused, uh, even though I read this story, but I've read it like a month ago, is because there's a mention as to who would want to stop the arrival of the Tatami Mats to Lord Gifu. And Lord Hikiji is mentioned, but only slyly, but yet everyone seems to know that the Nico Ninja are in the employ of Lord Hikichi, so I, I don't, I guess I'm kind of confused as to that element of the story. Toitomi asks Usagi, 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 wow, sorry, Usagi to stay uh, and help guard the shipment, which Usagi obliges. Usagi and Toitomi have a discussion as to who and why uh, somebody would want the tatami mats. It seems that Lord Gifu is going to use a particular room in his fortress to perform the tea ceremony for an emissary from the Shogun as a show of respect and what he is willing to do to honor the Shogun to stay on or perhaps get on, we're not sure, the Shogun's good side. 
and it hinges on these tatami mats as being the mats in the room. So they are protecting them. They, they have already taken delivery of the mats in the first part of the tatami, tatami storyline. Excuse me for garbling and juggling my words. So, And they're trying to get them to the fortress. They've been attacked once. Uh, now they have taken up for the night. The next day, after this night that we see, they should arrive at the fortress. So they're essentially halfway there. Um, talking, as I said, between Usagi and Toyotomi as to who and why would want to prevent the tatami mats from reaching Lord Gifu. Um, Usagi and Chizu have a little tete-a-tete -tete here. Usagi stays with the guards to boister the forces there. Chizu departs and goes to attack from the forest, from the shadows. And an interesting little exchange here. Usagi is trying to get Chizu to stay close so that he can protect or help protect her. Tells her you should be safer here. You would be safer here with us. And she reaches up and with a smile kind of pinches in cheeks, his cheek and says, you're worried for me. How cute. But I have to go. And she's smiling in the panel. But it seems like a very facetious kind of comment to me. Well, be careful, he says. I always am, as she runs off into the woods. And then up on a bluff overlooking that no one on this plane has noticed, which kind of interests me since they are, they should be hyper-vigilant right now, having been attacked once. But it is Kagamaru and Kimi, the number one and, or the leader and number one of the Nico Ninja. So they're overseeing things. They're talking back and forth. Um, he makes mention uh, Kagamaru being he. Kimi uh, is a female ninja. Kagamaru says that they'll attack the third division of the Hour of the Tiger, which that's a lot of words to say between 4 and 4.30, but I guess they didn't have between 4 and 4.30 then. That's what we're told by Mr. Sakai here. Uh, we see the word Kashira, which is chief. Um, then we go back to the encampment, and we have this goofy set of panels that I guess goes on in this situation almost anywhere in the world, almost any time. You have your two guards that are quote-unquote on guard duty who seemingly are not being serious, right? One is drinking, offering drink to the other. Uh, they hear something, but it's only the Tokagi uh, playing along the edges, you know, outside of the, the campfire light so that they can't be seen kind of hiding, but still kind of playing. No, we don't see them, but nothing happens. So we assume it's Tokagi. That's what the two guards think. Then Usagi comes upon him. This is not the time to relax your diligence. And they are not very respectful to Usagi because of his position, or lack of position, really. Oh, it's just that new guy. The other one says, who do you think you are to give us orders? They go back and forth. Call him a ronin. Notice the Mon. A Ronin is a samurai that doesn't have a master. Uh, I apologize for those of you that may be new to Usaki or to uh, Edo period or that time frame of, of Japanese culture. Look at his Mon. The Mifune crest. Doesn't he know the war had ended and he lost? And we haven't seen the crest um, used against Usagi in a while, but here it's kind of thrown up in his face in a very disrespectful way. Usagi takes, of course, major umbrage with that, insulting his former lord, who he still feels indebted to. That's why he's still wearing, obviously, the Mifune Mon. Um, going back and forth with him a little bit, and then the other says, uh, oh, but now that I think about it, let's not make him mad. I've seen him fight, man. We don't want to, 
you know, we don't want to enrage him. And then the other backs off and says, oh, well, then I, I'm sorry. We, you know, and so they start backpedaling and apologizing for their their perceived lack of vigilance. And in the midst of this talking, they're attacked by uh, flying, I guess. Let's see. Do we see? Yeah, they're, they're stars. They're being attacked by stars. Uh, throwing stars typically employed as far as our Western culture is concerned. I'm not sure about the reality per se. I, I don't think they're quite in reality used this way from what I understand. But the stars are thrown at the enemies by the ninjas. Killing one guard, frightening the other guard, and putting Usagi uh, at alarm. Fighting off the stars with his sword and a tang 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 as he's knocking them away. Yelling. Alert, alert, we're under attack. Uh, six ninja rush out of the grasses, brush trees on the edge of the clearing that the tatami uh, convoy is at. All of the ninja are wearing minos, those uh, straw capes, which uh, would have helped them hide in the grasses, not be seen because it you know, if they're ducked under it, it very much looks like grass anyways. So that's how they got so close to them before they were able to attack. And conceivably, the sounds the guards heard before that they thought were Tokagi could very well have been these ninjas sneaking up on, sneaking up on them um, and just not having gotten to a position where they could attack but closing in. Toyotomi screams out, protect the tatami. Don't let any of them get past the perimeter. Not the tatami, of course, but them that are attacking. It's two different word bubbles. So I said that very poorly, but you can tell that, that that's what he meant. Attacking uh, panel after panel, Usagi, the guards, ninjas falling, except for Usagi, of course. Then we see the ninjas employ some arrows with fire heads attached in an attempt to ignite the wagon and or tatami mats, or both. So then there are flaming arrows flying through the air, hitting different things, hitting some of the entourage, retinue, guards, whatever you want to call them around the tatami. Again, Toyotomi screams out, protect the carts! More panels now of attacking ninjas and flaming arrows. Usagi standing against them, attacking. Toyotomi attacking the ninjas. Up above on this bluff, still standing here, the same place that they were earlier, never having been seen by anybody in this tatami group, are Kagamaru and Kimi watching what's going on, seeing that basically their forces are winning. Uh, they certainly had the numbers to begin with, so... Unless something happens, it's only a matter of time before they're successful. As they're talking, uh, Chizu steps out of the mm, darkness from around a bend in the path that they're on. And so now uh, she draws a pair of retractable kama. I don't know if they were spring-loaded into the handles or off to the sides, but they're spring-loaded and she flips them open. Either way, she has a set of kama, just like she was wielding on the cover. And so now... Reflecting the battle down on the plane between the ninja and the tatami forces. Up on this little bluff, we have Chizu representing the tatami forces and Kagamaru and Kimi representing the ninja. So we have a mini battle, a mini representation of what's going on down on the, on the plains below. So these three, and, and keep in mind, for those of you that do know, for those of you that don't know, Chizu is also a ninja. She's not dressed like it, but she was formerly the leader of the Nico Ninja clan. She formerly held the position that Kagamaru holds now. 
So she's not dressed like it, but she is ninja. Same training, everything as Kagamaru and Kimi. Uh, arguably, she should be better at it than either of these two because she was the former leader and she wasn't ousted by anything but politics. She wasn't physically defeated. She wasn't kicked out nah, per se by the ninja. I mean, she was, but like I said, it was under political pressure. So she arguably should be as good. She definitely is as good as one, more than likely as good as both. But uh, two against one, you know, you think, hmm, what's going to happen? How long can she last? If she lasts, uh, who will die if anybody dies? Of course, you know, you would think Chizu because she's outnumbered. So uh, we flip back to the battle down on the plains, Usagi, or on the plain below. Usagi battling ninja, killing, killing, fighting, fighting, none left. And then he turns and, and marches back towards another portion of the battle as he has uh, defeated his particular little group, saying they die without a sound. Back up to the overlooking bluff, Kagamaru, Kimi, Chizu fighting, um, leaps and bounds, throwing stars, backflips, uh, faints. No one has drawn blood yet that we've really seen, but everyone is still standing. Uh, a lot of talking back and forth, of course, trying to get in your opponent's head. Uh, probably the most important is a thought bubble. I'm tiring already from Chizu, as she is told by Kimi that she can't possibly defeat both. Uh, Usagi is fighting a ninja and notices just as he's about to strike him that the ninja pulls out a black powder bomb, uh, which is gunpowder, lights it, and it explodes. Um, I don't know. Uh, okay, uh, in the process of lighting it, Usagi struck him, but he was able to finish the act, but died. And so the lit bomb goes off with him. And that's how they find out that some, or perhaps all of the ninjas, also have uh, Japanese feudal grenades, okay, in essence. So he yells out. Uh, the fighting continues as we see more of the tatami guards starting to fall. One of the Nico ninja who's injured makes it to the, or to one of the wagons. There's actually two wagons hauling mats, but he makes it to one wagon. And I think we're going to see that it, it, it must signify close enough to both. He lights his grenade. Then we move up to the bluff where we see the big baka doom of the grenade going off while Chizu, Kimi, and Kagamaru are fighting still. Uh, Chizu throwing one of her kama, finally deciding either because of her physical tiredness or because of the bomb going off, realizing, oh, well, that must be the end. But I mean, she hasn't really had a chance to check and see. Uh, there's already been another grenade that's gone off that didn't do any damage. Maybe the two grenades is enough. I, you know, it's it's hard to tell. But she she finally decides to call it quits, and so she uses some of the the ninja. Uh, we would consider it uh, trickery. She uses some stinging dust that she throws in Kagamaru's eyes, and then a smoke bomb to uh, obfuscate between she, Chizu, and Kagamaru and Kimi over on, let's say, the other side. You know, there's a, a, a divide between them, and she fills that divide with smoke and makes good her escape. We don't see where. Kimmy, though, decides uh, she's not on the path, so she must have gone down here and just starts going down the actual mountain, jumping into trees, jumping from branch to branch, jumping down to the ground, walking around, looking up, looking around to the side. She could be anywhere. 
snap she hears beside her, and then not a sound, Kimmy, as a comma is held to her throat, which is kind of cool because of the way the commas are shaped, right? They're L-shaped. So from behind, Chizu is holding the comma at the outside edge of Kimmy's neck. And because of the way it's shaped, if she brought it across, right, she would decapitate her. And that's interesting to me because it's it's accurate, right? If, if it were a sword, they would hold it up against the front or a knife, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the front of the person, and then just draw it across, uh, cutting the throat. But because of the shape of the comma, you would hold it to the side of the neck, and as you brought it across, you would just completely decapitate the person. That's, that's cool. It's a little thing, but it's just it's accurate to, to how you would have to wield uh, that particular weapon. And then Chizu says, I'm sorry to have scared you. You still have your ship's Kashira, Kimmy says. Ah, ha, ha, ha. They start. So the spy that was in the Nico Ninja clan that's been keeping Chizu up on what they're doing has been Kimmy. And she still refers to her as Kashira. That's chief leader. So she acknowledges that you are my leader, not Kagamaru, not that kitty cat up at the top of the mountain there. Cat of, of other stripes or, you know however you want to say so um so they talk a little bit here back and forth um finally chizu suggests and kimmy acquiesces that kimmy must go before kagamaru gets um gets curious suspicious kimmy gets up to the top of the bluff just as kagamaru is finally clearing the last of the stinging dust out of his eyes asks kimmy if she found chizu chizu's response no Kagamaro, she disappeared without a trace. Curse her! I'll get her one day, he says with the, uh, Kagamaru says with the serious look on his face and the shaking of the fist. I can never consolidate my leadership of the Nico Ninja clan while she still breathes, he says. Side view of him in the panel. Three-quarter view of Kimmy's face, and she looks very serious and is not at all that you can tell looking at this giving away her true loyalties or anything. Cut back to the planes below. Yes, apparently this one bomb was big enough to have destroyed both of these wagons because we see this. Even though the wagons are separated by, I don't know, a good 10 to 12 feet probably. I, that's kind of curious to me. So Usagi and Toyotomi are checking things out, scoping out the level of destruction. Usagi says the Nico Ninja have all disappeared. They even took their dead with them. Toyotomi they accomplished what they had set out to do. Now here, um, this next set of um, panels, the, the rest of the scene is as about as dour and deflating a scene as I can remember Mr. Sakai doing in a long time, to be honest with you. Basically, Toyotomi is accepting defeat, okay, in that the tatami mats were destroyed. Now that's not in doubt, okay, that's obvious. Um, but what will happen is now that the match will not be delivered, the tea ceremony will be a disaster, and Lord Gifu will be disgraced before the Shogun's emissary. Everyone still alive except for Usagi and Chizu will continue to Gufu's fortress, and when they get there, Toyotomi is hoping that in their failure, they'll be allowed to perform seppuku. He says it is, after all, a beautiful morning, so it's a good day to die, is, is what he's saying. It is hoped our deaths will allow our master to save face in the eyes of the Shogun. And Usagi is, is much taken aback. I, I understand. Giri, eh? Duty. Yes, it is an honor to have met you, Usagi-san. Now, this word Giri, 
is a very complex word. Uh, on the surface, to us, over here, okay, uh, over here being in the West, duty, obligation, or perhaps even burden of obligation are all ways of understanding that word. Uh, Nemico Abe defined giri as to serve one's superiors with a self-sacrificing devotion. Now, the Wikipedia entry on the word goes on to say, it is also associated with the complex Japanese values that involve loyalty, gratitude, and moral debt. So it, it is, it, you know, it goes well beyond honor and, and incorporates in this situation how you must act, what your behavior must be, what your subsequent behaviors must be, how others will view you. I mean, all of these very broad concepts that have all been smushed down into this one word to those that understand the word to relay all of these very complex goings-on of um, the this portion of Edo era Japanese society. Um, and and that, that has always been something that has very much um, attracted me, I guess, to this particular time of this particular culture because there are so many concepts so many paragraphs of of definition that have been distilled to single words in the language and uh i mean english we do that to some extent but you know to, to for, for the most extent we have a word for everything and so if you want to talk about more than one everything you use more than one word right i mean it's you know uh, english is not a strictly one to one kind of language but so many concepts um, are not distilled into a single word. They have different aspects of the concepts have different words. Um, and then, I mean, you can you can even use um, uh, Greek. I believe it's Greek as an example. Uh, the word love, depending on how it's applied, even has different words depending on what kind of love you mean. The love for your parents, the love for your wife, the love for God, if, if you're a Christian. Um, you know, so I mean, there's... Oh, or rather, not the love for God, the love that God gives you. I'm sorry. Um, love is the word, but there are different words in the Greek as to how you apply the word love. So, anyways, uh, it, it just it fascinates me, um, among other things. And in here specifically, this example, the word giri, G-I-R-I. Um, Usagi bows as the rest of the tatami guardian retinue move off. Toyotomi and uh, three six vassals are all that's left. It has been my honor, he says. Farewell, Toyotomi-san. And that's where the scene ends. And that's it. So Mr. Sakai leaves us with the thought that these seven men, uh, just like 47 Ronin, if you've ever seen the, the movie, uh, are going to go through this ritual of, of all taking knees on a mat and cutting their abdomen and exposing their innards, uh, hopefully with the idea that there will be a second beside them that as soon as they finish that, lops their head off so that they don't suffer. Wow. That is, yeah, I mean, that is all just, just you know, and, and I am being kind of cursed, but but not. I, I just consider that concept, you know. That, uh, and, and they willingly do it. They, they understand that their position demands that that's what they do, and they have agreed to that. And and Mr. Sakai really leans into that in this story, and I, I just don't I don't recall a, a feeling 
I guess, the way that I felt after that particular scene uh, previously reading Mr. Sakai's stuff. So it was, it was very moving for me. Uh, we have an epilogue. Early morning, three days later, we see Kagamaru entering a, a town, walking through a garden, walking up to a structure, taking a seat in front of a structure. We have a young female servant. Um, the Lord will receive you now. Kagamaru goes on in and sits before, uh, kneels before, actually, Lord Hebi. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Lord Hebi is a huge snake. Uh, I don't anaconda, python, maybe. I can't tell with all of the other ridges and things on his head. Maybe a Klingon snake, if there were such a thing. I don't know. But uh, Hebi uh, recognizes Hikiji, uh, excuse me, Hebi recognizes Kagamaru and says that Lord Hikiji is well pleased with the handling of the tatami mat matter. But I hear that Chizu was also involved. And Kagamaru says, yes, but she escaped. Hebi acknowledges a, a minor favor. Let's pour some sake. Uh, Kagamaru says, you honor me. And he takes a sip of the wine and sees that it is, uh, realizes that it is different. And Hikiji says, different, is it not? It is a special drink, little known. Habu sake. And he continues drinking his. And Kagamaru um, sips again. He, he stopped because of the flavor. Now he resumes. Habu sake. I've never heard of it. And Ikiji continues. A venomous habu snake is captured and put into a bottle of rice wine and allowed to ferment for 10 years. Wow. Okay. And yeah, um, Hiki, or, uh, Kagamaru's reaction is, is much the same as mine. Probably more so because he has just ingested this. You know, I'm sure he's wondering if, if Hikiji's poisoned him. And Kiji refills his bowl and says, here, have some more. And, and out slips the snake, right, that's used to flavor. The, just like the worm in tequila uh, is what came to my mind. Now, of course, this snake is much larger than the worm, than any worm I have ever seen in the, well, that people have told me are in the bottle bottom of tequila bottles because personally I have never seen worms in the bottom of tequila only pictures and on TV and, and my friends told me so I don't know I assume that this is much much bigger than any worm ever put in a bottle of tequila as Kagamaru is looking in his bowl at this large snake wondering what to do Hikiji gets right up in his face and says as the guest, you may partake of the special ingredient. And Kagamaru looks up at him, and <laughs> Hikiji, in the next panel we see, is has his head tilted at about 45 degrees in the panel and says, No? Well, we can't have it go to waste, and reaches out with his tail, grabs up Kagamaru's bowl, and slams the whole thing. Right? Ah, delicious. And then he looks back at Kagamaru and says, Do not ever fail us, Kagamaru. And the next panel is Kagamaru retracing the exact steps that he took to get there. Uh, this particular panel is him walking down some uh, a flight of stairs in the little village or maybe just outside the fortress uh, that we're at. But <laughs> So I'm wondering, is it the fact that he slipped something in the sake and he's telling Kagamaru he could easily do that again? Okay. Is it Hikiji devouring one of its own? in eating the snake that was used to flavor the sake. One of those two issues, or both, had to be the slamming home of the message, do not fail us. I think both were rather effective, but the image where I, Kagamaru, of Hikiji 
devouring one of his own, okay? A snake. That would be the one where I'm like, well, you, you just really don't even care, do you? You'll even, wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> nope, nope made there. So, and that's that's where our story ends, this episode issue. Uh, next time out, the handy dandy schedule says that I will be talking about volume three, um, the Dark Horse volume issue 41. So if that holds true, that's what you have to look forward to next time. Either way, I will talk to you guys again next time. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit podcast is a teal production and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivatives, 3.0, unported license.